Welcome into episode 120. I feel like a darts announcer when I say that. Although, uh, I don't think there's ever been a score of 120 in darts. All the damn days that I've watched darts, uh, spent countless hours watching darts, I've never heard of 120. It's In Goal Radio, the podcast, uh, presented by The Hockey Shop, the hockey shop source for sports, Surrey. Welcome aboard. We've got a great one for you today and a slight pivot. Uh, last week, we promoted Mike DiPietro. Will be this week. Well, we've uh, moved off that because we have some breaking news and a great uh, timely guest. So while Mikey's at the World Championship getting ready there, we are going to uh, slide into the C- uh, feature interview presented by Sensorina with Alex Nedeljkovic from the Carolina Hurricanes, who has the starting job there. So uh, that is the feature interview. And there's so many uh, just um, moments and uh, pieces of the conversation with Woody that you will uh, soak up and uh, learning moments uh, really uh, on how to uh, absorb uh, the knowledge that is being passed your way. So let's bring in the aforementioned Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison, the co-founders of Ingle Magazine. Uh, Gentlemen, uh, we have a task before us uh, today on uh, this episode of Ingle Radio, the podcast, to give a listener our top 10 favorite episodes of all time. So 119 episodes up for nomination. Have you done your homework? Yes, sir. I have done my homework. Woody, have you done your homework? Do you see how fast I'm scrolling right now? <laughs> you are brutal. Absolutely brutal. And um, I, I, I'm going to go first, just because I can. Uh, but, uh, but let's just uh, give a shout out to the folks, uh, Woody. At, uh, at the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports, sorry, thehockeyshop.com, because uh, this is this is uh, coming out of this pandemic, and I know everybody's dealing with it in different uh, phases right now, but, uh, but boy, uh, Cam and the, the crew over there have done a marvelous job throughout this whole thing, and, and now into a gear season. Yeah, and it's uh, a, an exciting week there because the Bauer Hyperlight line has launched. Um, we'll hear Cam talk about the second price point today, the 3X, but all the gear we already previewed, the pads and gloves for the Hyperlites in store, you can buy it off the shelf right now or do your custom ordering through Cam. Uh, the 3X gear we're going to talk about today is in store. The new Hyperlite stick is in store. Really cool little feature on the handle that we'll tease in the gear segment later. But if you want to go in store, or check them out online. They've got it there. Chest protector as well. Um, the line has launched and you can check it out at the hockey shop source for sports in person or the hockey shop.com, or just call cam and get all the information you need about the newest from Bauer hyperlight power with the hyperlight and the other brands that are coming out. We've had the CCM eFlex five launch, uh, most of those products. We've got some other ones coming up, some other accessories coming up in the next couple of months, but for now it's Bauer's the focus and they've got it all in stock and ready for you to take home at the hockey shop source for sports and the hockey shop.com. And so much more on the Bauer 3X line coming up in our gear segment with Woody and Cam. Uh, So here we go. Let's get into it. Uh, Our favorite episodes of all time. Uh, I will lead us off because I I feel the need to do that uh, as the host. And I don't want anybody else stealing one of mine and having to pivot at the last second. So uh, by by virtue of of having control of the microphone, I will go first. Episode 23, Martin Brodeur at the National Hockey League Draft in Vancouver. The one and only time that uh, that we have all been together and interviewed uh, a guest for that purpose of that episode. Now we did some stuff uh, at Goalie Palooza. Uh, we we uh, put some some episodes together around that, but that was uh, that was where we gathered early in the morning, 
before the second day of the draft. And uh, and we got it uh, to sit down with Martin Broder, who was awesome in this quiet little lobby uh, at a boutique hotel just down the street uh, from uh, from from Rogers uh, Rogers Arena. So that was cool. That was uh, number one uh, for me. Episode forty four, Steve Valaket. Anytime you can uh, pick the brain of uh, ClearSight Analytics uh, and the former goaltender, that one had so much range to it, uh, from modern day uh, analytics to his uh, his career and his journey is fascinating, and uh, how he uh, admitted that uh, that he. Uh, stepped outside the boundaries at times and and also uh, learned from it and, and offered it up. So uh, that was really, really uh, a cool conversation. And, uh, and arguably my favorite, uh, maybe not as high profile as the Brodeur one, but uh, episode, uh, I want to say 40, uh, episode 40, Chris Osgood and Bauer World, Aussie. I remember where I was when we recorded that interview. I was in Denver at uh, at a hotel. And we hooked up, uh, Woody and I hooked up with Ozzy and just uh, just hearing Ozzy just be so honest about different things that he had to do as a goaltender uh, and the fun that he had as a goaltender and what he learned as a goaltender from from Kenny Holland, but uh, some of the, the goofy stuff that he that he didn't like to do as signed by his head coach. Uh, those are my three favorites. See, so this that is was... the reason that you get to go first because I just crossed two off my list. So that's perfect. Because I, can't, you know me, I can't make a short enough list. I always go long. So you guys, Hutch, you go next, so I can just whittle a couple more off and get down to a reasonable number here. Yeah, that was a quality <laughs> move, Darren. That was veteran. I sort of thought you might go first Thank with you. one and then pass it over to us, but no, you made no, us scratch no. off three. No, so, no, no. So no, I scratched no, no, off no. as you hit Brodeur. I saw Woody scrolling mm-hmm. a little bit more, as uh, <laughs> you mentioned, Valakat. <laughs> And of course, you've uh, you've done a great job of uh, showing everybody what a great student you were in school growing up, because you didn't just say who was on the show, but the exact episode number. Uh, you probably had the best presentations in, in elementary school, didn't you? You were the guy. Buddy, if if we're going to offer up the episodes, uh, it's easier for people to go through and go, oh, episode 40? Yeah, I can find that rather than looking through it. Well, uh, you're, I, you're the host, but I, I, I put the show notes together. So there'll be links. I serve as the people. There'll be links because of me serving them even more. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, okay. So, so my top three. Um, number one for me was uh, Glenn Hall. Without a doubt, uh, what an oh, incredible! Yeah. I mean, much much like that opportunity to sit down with the legend Martin Brodeur, uh, sitting down with uh, one of the greatest of all time in Glen Hall, in his living room at his farm, uh, just outside Edmonton, and uh, maybe even drinking a few pops with him. But just what an incredibly warm person! What a generous man! Uh, some an incredible sense of humor. Uh, took us down through, showed us some of his memorabilia afterwards as well. It was just an incredible day. And uh, I'm still jealous. That you that. <laughs> well, and thank you to our good friend, Eli Wilson, for helping make that happen too. Um, so yeah, just a splendid day for, for Maddie and me as well. And I uh, hope we got some of that feeling across in the show. So give that one a listen. Uh, number two uh, was one that I got to do solo, was with uh, Devin McConnell, who was at the time um, the head of sports science for the uh, Devils and has since moved to Arizona out to the desert and uh, I went to uh, grad school studying exercise physiology and I worked a little bit at the Olympic Training Center in the U.S. so we have um, some common loves although he is light years ahead of me in both his understanding and his practice but it was just fun to be able to to listen to Devin and I really enjoyed it because he challenged I think some common perceptions for the sport you know one that stepped out for me quickly was that 
you could have more than two goaltenders on the ice in a practice and it actually be physiologically better for them in terms of how mm. they're practicing and just anybody who we've makes, learned that this year now yeah, for sure and anybody who makes us think outside the box like that i just love listening to uh you know and also his principles about micro dosing training so you don't need to sit down for four hours to become a better goaltender you can make use of those few minutes that you have every day so just love listening to Devin and and uh, speaking to him since. And then the other one I thought maybe you would uh, you would pull out, Darren, was uh, the two of us sitting down with Bernie Perrant virtually, uh, another Hall of Famer, another incredibly warm and funny human being, and and his wife Jeannie, uh, who put it together. And I just thoroughly love that um, right from you know, before we even got on on air when he invited us to go fishing with him on his boat this summer. Hope those borders are open soon, boys, because I'm heading down to see Bernie if it does. <laughs> um, just just a, a great person and and somebody I grew up watching as well. So a real, real pleasure. And and I think for us to enjoy some of the great young goaltenders that we're hearing from, like, like Alex today, uh, I think it's also great to look back on the history of the game and where it all came from and the people who brought us here. So there you go. There's my, my top three. No, no episode numbers, but links will be in the show notes, everybody. Woody, mm-hmm. are you scrolling? Scratch another are couple off, probably. No, 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 no. Um, you know, I was, I was scrolling. I was kind of, kind of uh, hoping that uh, Hutch would cross off some of mine. Um, he, you've got 113 episodes. Yeah, to choose that's the from. problem. You, you know, like the, the problem so is, you know, ones. my brain is so small and it's been hit so many times with hard, you know, rubber pucks that. I have trouble thinking beyond the recent, and I absolutely I said that Sudzi Sudarshan Maharaj would be on our our top list, and so I got to put Sudzi on the top ten. Um, it gets tougher after that. Uh, that was just a couple episodes you ago. You went back like two episodes. I know, I know. I you told you guys back. I'm not that bright. Fra- Francois Lair, <laughs> Francois Lair, because it was episode 100, and it's Francois Lair, and that was a great conversation. Okay. Um, despite the Darren and I agreed to leave that one for you, just so you'd have one to pick. Yeah, yeah. And Hutch, sorry, I was making some notes here. Like uh, you said, Stefan Wait, right? No, I didn't. I that, although he's 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 at my on my list right here because what an incredible opportunity that was for yeah, us. Yeah, so that, that that was on mine because we got to do that one in Montreal at the practice facility, and and we actually ended up doing the interview in the coach's office where the where the coaches sort of all, um, you know, do their preparations there out at the facility. So that was pretty high on mm-hmm. my list. Um, it, yeah, the, what's good about that one too is is you can feel that in listening to that episode, uh, that conversation that you guys had with with Steph, uh, you can feel the history and and uh, the excitement uh, uh, and the cool factor come through that episode. Yeah, so that's uh, I guess that's I guess that's three. I was gonna say Elvis Merzlikens in '94 and Jeremy Swayman at '67 because I can't do lists. <laughs> uh, that's only nine. Although yeah. we, we, we've well, done a gotta, great job of to, doing a roundup that probably belonged in episode 100, didn't it? Yes. <laughs> Looking back on our uh, first 120. Can we agree uh, to do episode one as a, uh, as a group when we, we got together and, and packaged that first episode like that with, that was Roberto Luongo. Uh, Sonia, was, was Sonia DiBiase. Ad- absolutely. That's, that's Sonia. Yeah, we're mutual on that. All three of us. Two great guests and the Woody doing it in his car past, as yeah. well made it even better. So. Have we all done an episode from the car? I have. I haven't done an interview, but I did this part of an episode sitting in a parking lot in Kelowna. So yes, that that yeah. counts. Just How after many, Net three sixty. How many car rides have we got so far? Like we got 
Eric Comrie was in the car after a round of golf in Kelowna. We got Luongo in the car while driving. We got Ian Clark in the car. And Freddie Freddie, I had Kay Whitmore. There was a little Kay Whitmore in the car. Little Freddie yep. Anderson too, where where I was mm. in the car with Freddie. And then we've certainly had a few guests in the car. Marty Biron was definitely on a drive one day. Um, but yeah, we've actually done a few. I recorded in this part. I recorded this part of the podcast uh, in a in the car while parked on the side of the road in PEI. Uh, right. I remember that. That's so right. yeah, that we've uh, we've we've had a lot of a uh, lot of journeys, and now and now we'll get into uh, another one with uh, Alex Nadelkovich coming up in our Sensorina VR uh, feature interview, and uh, just uh, exploding onto the scene. And you started it off that conversation uh, about where he was at the start of the year, and and having to pass through waivers, and then. Uh, the anxiety uh, and the uh, nerves of, of Alex at the start, and now he's he's in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So we'll we'll get to that. But uh, the fee uh, gear segment is uh, brought to you by the Hockey Shop, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com, and uh, dealing with another one of those uh, secondary price points. But uh, the excitement in the two of you, Woody, uh, about this Bauer Three X line is is extreme. Was it tangible? Did it come through? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, the gloves were nice, um, but just the amount of features they have added, I, I'll, I'll leave it for the gear segment to explain them all, but the amount of pro-level features that they have added to a second price point pad, um, you know, basically the only thing you don't get uh, is something that most companies don't have other than Bauer. So it's really not a stretch to say that this is this is. This is a second price point product that can start to be compared to top price point products, um, you know, from other brands. So it's, uh, you know, there's a reason we're excited, Darren. So I'll let I'll let I'll let Cam fill the listeners in on the rest. And the best part is, it's it's a it's a line of equipment that uh, moms and dads and the the boys and the girls uh, can all agree on, and uh, you uh, rec leaguers and amateur goaltenders can all embrace because you're getting a quality, quality product uh, at that uh, secondary price point. It's the gear segment brought to you by the Hockey Shop, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. Cam and Woody down in the basement. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, source for sports, or as we at Ingle Magazine like to call it, goalie utopia, surrounded by the latest, the greatest, and in this case, a little bit of both. Brand new gear. It's always an exciting time, an exciting time of year. The Bauer 3X line. This is, again, we're into that second price point down where we tend at Ingle to focus a little bit sometimes, sometimes too much, on just the pro-level gear um, at the expense of, you know, gear that I think a lot of us beer leaguers, uh, a lot of kids coming up in youth hockey, right up into, you know, high-end youth hockey. It, the gear is still good enough for them. And that is definitely the case with the Bauer new 3X line. Um, like this is damn near a pro product, Cam. I've been really impressed with this line. You had it on the ice. Before we go through the features, what's just the initial feedback? This is obviously the second price point down for Bauer underneath the Hyperlight line. Cam, hit me with the highlights. Uh, they're awesome. Um, oh, yeah, they're awesome. Uh, it's, it, rarely do I really get super, super excited about a, a you know mid-range level product. I do get a little bit laser focused on you know the pro category, but you know this is definitely well caught my eye. Well worth the attention that it is starting to get and, and garner. And um, yeah, definitely gets my giant thumbs up of approval. Um, 
a lot of features that have come down from the Pro Series that have been refined um, and brought into a mid-level product that just hasn't been seen before at this price point. Well, let, let's start with the big one because uh, one of the big parts for the Hyperlite line is the new Stabila Flex knee. They've obviously, we saw it with the Stabila slide knee mm -hmm. um, in, in the ultrasonic where they incorporated the knee. They built it right into the face of the pad to help you get to the ice better, help the pad seal better, better butterfly balance. Stabila Flex was the same idea incorporated with a little bit more mobility, a little bit more flex to it. They've actually brought this into the second price point. Um, I gotta be honest, I didn't see that coming. That's a big step. It's huge win, huge upgrade, uh, great feature in terms of for performance value out of the pad. Like this How puts it feel on the ice. It puts it right on par with the Pro Pad. Wow. Um, and that kind of, again, like feel and, and again, that increase in performance out of the pad is just, it can't be ignored. Um, and is definitely, definitely well worth your time in checking out. Uh, some other quick features about the pad that we should be aware of. So again, with, in tune with their Vapor series, this is a softer flex pad. You really can get a lot of flex out of it. However, the core is good enough that it pops right back to where it needs to be. Still features their Curvex composite on the inside. Uh, rebounds aren't going to be as hot because they're not using their Cortex skin on the pad um, between that and the Hyperlite. But hey, you got it. You got to save somewhere. Well, let, yeah. let, so let's talk about that because obviously there is a difference. Yes. When I talk about this being a pro level pad and feel. Uh, and some of the performance benefits on it. There are differences between the Hyperlite Pro and the 3X line. So let's focus on those quickly. Now, in terms of sliding, you can tell me how it felt, but you still sort of maintain that, that hard block, that hard inner edge. For the most part, it's maybe not quite as stiff on the face of the pad. And that's because, as you mentioned, the one thing you're not getting in this pad is the skin, is yes. that Cortex skin that has that super hard inside edge and has those really active rebounds off it. That said, this is a more traditionally built skin along the lines of what every other product is offering right now. So if I was gonna be super nitpicky, yes, I did notice a minute difference in terms of slidability and a little bit that could be considered the resistance from the other gusset on the pad. Uh, that said, we're, we're splitting hairs here, like to a point where it's like, you know what, I wouldn't say it makes or break it for, for the pad Still itself. slides really well. Exactly, exactly. So that can't be ignored. Um, again, I did notice uh, a not as heavy as a rebound off of it, but uh, again, there's got to be a difference there. Um, boot remains very soft and flexible as well. Again, allowing you to get over top of that pad easy. Also, when you're down on that butterfly, because it is a very flat boot, it still allows you to angle it so you're not kicking that rebound straight back at the shooter. Um, strapping system. The exact same as we are seeing on the Hyperlate. So they got their TuneFit uh, 2.0. Uh, what that all means, one strap, adjustable, so there's not the different sizes to it as there has been in the past. We do have their balance plate pillow. Now, the one that I currently have in my hand is actually a bit of an earlier sample. So this pillow will be trimmed down a little bit more on the actual true inline. We did call same that out on the Hyperlite. Same as what we saw on the Hyperlite, That's yeah. correct. Um, I love that. I love that. You know, again, much like the other one. Like again, the knee, the way they've integrated the strap is actually built into the connection on the knee stack. Um, you can quickly remove this tab if you don't want to go around the knee. If you want to go down, you can actually remove this strap altogether if you just want to use 
the inner strap, and it looks like there is positioning there for, you know, for lack of a better term, the professor strap. Uh, I know they've got a name for it. Does it come with, or do you need to order that separately in terms of that, that upper calf strap? It, it will be something that needs to be ordered separately. But you have the ability to add it, that quote-unquote professor correct. strap. For some guys, that means being able to get rid of the knee strap altogether. Uh, personally, I still keep it, but um, again, a lot of the same options that you would have in a pro pad, even if you do need to add that separately, the option is there. Uh, we've got the bungee style toe laces, like just a lot of features that feel like, you know, they, they say pro. Yes. So even if the price doesn't. That's correct. Enough about the pad. Blocker. Uh, continuing off the momentum, even at the mid-range level last year with the 2X blocker, it was already a fantastic blocker for the price point. What's changed more so, we're going to see that on the back end. So they've added that tight fit glove feel to the actual palm of the glove itself or blocker. So again, I'm not having that excess material all the way throughout as I put my fingers through. Uh, great feature, adds to the good feel to the blocker already. Um, solid blocker. Again, rebounds aren't as hot as a Hyperlite because there has to be a change that doesn't feature that Cortex. It still does have a curved composite core, so it is a one-piece blocker. It's gonna help us hold its shape. I exactly, exactly. So again, great option at that mid-level price point. Glove? Uh, I mean. From a CCM equivalent, like just because it's the common vernacular, we call this a 590 break. Correct. Uh, real easy closure in it. Again, it's got the Curve-X composite to, to help it maintain its shape. Uh, I'm guessing one of the differences would be probably not as much or, or no pour on in the palm in terms of that extra protection there. But again, a glove that when you put it on your hand, you know, I can put this on my hand compared to some of the pro level gloves on the wall and not feel much of a difference at all. No, so they've really worked on adding some size to the pocket itself from just readjusting the actual like schematics of the glove. Worked on the closure by adding that extra rib on the inside just to help you wrap around. Biggest though, on the backhand, as we open up the glove, we can see how the strapping has changed. Added that pad up and over top, which really helps to lock the upper portion of the palm into the glove and really help to get you around the break angle. Oh, really, you can really feel the difference when you tighten that up. Exactly, and it doesn't affect the closure. It just really helps you snug up that glove and get you wrapped around the break angle of it. So, um, great overall mid-range glove. Great overall mid-range product, you know, head to toe. One that I think a lot of parents are going to like too, because listen, we, we, and Cam is the guy to come in and talk to. He'll steer you right in terms of the level your kids are playing at, the level you're playing at as a goaltender, and whether this is a realistic product for you. I can tell you in the past, uh, we had Bauer uh, the, in, the, in the 2X line, that mid-price point pad, we put it in a Bantam, uh, major Bantam goaltender. Uh, no problems. Got through an entire season wearing it. Uh, still had life in it afterwards. So, you know, again, like that's that's major bantam. That's a pretty high level of hockey. You know, 15-year-old goaltender uh, starting to grow into his body. So putting out, there's a lot of weight and there's a lot of pressure on it. And that pad stood up no problem to a routine that was, you know, five times on the ice, five times a week. So um, we talk about durability being one of the differences. There are there are some differences anytime you drop the price as much as you do to the next price point level. But I just think that that gap has closed so much, especially in this new 3X pad that, you know, it's something that a lot of goaltenders probably should consider, um, you know, especially if you're still growing and you might even grow through a set before the end of the year, like to, 
to not have to invest as a parent the full like 3,000 plus to go pro head to toe to be able to get a pad for, what does this retail for? Are we in the $1,000 range for the pads? That's correct, yes. Yeah, compared to $2,200, there is a lot of pad here for, the, for your money. So if you've got questions about it, if you want to know, Cam's always going to be a guy who will answer them honestly in terms of, you know, whether you need pro, whether this is an option for you, do you need Hyperlite? Are you okay in a 3X? A um, lot of great features here. If you've got more questions, make sure you give him a shout at. Hold on. I missed something? Custom. No, come on. You can't have a senior pad at this price point and custom. Small nominal upcharge. I believe it's only 100 bucks extra. You can get colors and your name. Put on. Lay pad sharper blocker. Turnaround's, turnaround's about eight weeks. Eight weeks. Custom pads at a senior price point. And intermediate, which 3X is also available at. Intermediate and senior. That's me watching the, that is like a Griffey-esque home run into the, like this is a home run for Bauer. Well done, guys. Um, 604-589-8299-1800-567-7790. Give me a call. I'm at a loss. Like we'll just end it at that. Call Cam, hockeyshop.com. Check out the new Bauer 3X line. It's a winner. Pad drop. Giddy Cam's fun. I like Giddy Cam. We need to hear Giddy Cam more often. Stop bringing him down so much. <laughs> Giddy Cam's just giddy because he got to spend some time on the ice with the 3X line. And I think we should remind people that uh, the guys at the hockey shop, the crew at the hockey shop, the goalies at the hockey shop, I should say, because it's not always just guys, they get the gear on the ice to try it out. And that's not just the pro line. So we were on the ice with Cam trying out Bauer 3X Pro for a day as well as, uh, sorry, Bauer 3X for a day, as well as the Bauer Hyperlite product. He's been in them both. He's got feedback from them both, uh, as does his team. And that's why we shop there is because they give you answers that come from a knowledge uh, base of playing the position and loving the position. That's why I'm on uh, thehockeyshop.com every week, at least once a week, maybe twice, uh, but, uh, but at, at least once a week, uh, sorting through things. Uh, today, uh, the feature interview is going to deal with a player that at the start of the season was actually passed through waivers uh, only because uh, of, uh, of a logjam in front of him uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, James Reimer and Peter Morazic. But uh, due to an injury, and COVID and taxi squads. Uh, he got to be around the team a whole bunch more. And uh, everybody else's uh, miss in not picking him up, I still can't believe nobody claimed him, put in a claim. Uh, everybody else's miss is uh, the Carolina Hurricanes gain because uh, Alex Nadalkovich uh, starting the Stanley Cup playoffs in goal for the, uh, the top seed in that central division. It is a fabulous interview, and I can't wait to uh, give you my reflections on what I take uh, from it uh, afterwards. But uh, let's get over to uh, Woody, who is sitting down with Alex, uh, chatting about uh, this journey that he has been on. It's the feature interview brought to you by Sense Arena VR Hutch. Sensorina VR, our good friends who bring this feature interview to us every week, are now into week three of their global skills competition. So if you're a Sensorina user, as I know you two are, you can yeah. get on there, you can test your skills versus everybody else out there. If you're the top dog in the competition, you'll take away $1,000 to use for your training. Uh, each week you can win a hundred bucks and uh, they're going to take the best of the best on week six 
and give them a shot to uh, to claim supremacy. And I think it's just an awesome, awesome thing that they're doing because it's an incredible training tool for technical reasons, tr puck tracking, um, one of the number one for us. But as Brian DeCord mentioned when you interviewed him, Woody, he talked about sort of the mental side of it, being able to use Sense Arena as part of your game day preparation to help you relax, to help you be prepared for stepping on the ice. I love this competition because it's actually ratcheting things up. Now every puck you, you miss has a bit of a consequence because you're trying to beat the score of all those people. And you can go over and you can check out their scores on the leaderboard as uh, soon as you've soon as you finished your drill. So I think the fact that they're sort of ratcheting things up here is uh, a really, really great component. So Sensorina, thank you so much for your sponsorship of all our feature interviews. And uh, everybody, check it out. Just a great tool. I thought Mark Andre Fleury uh, was uh, was really good, and I can't believe he didn't win week number two uh, in the Sense Arena Skills Challenge because he participated in a twenty minute challenge in game number two with the first period uh, against the Minnesota Wild, and and he was a hundred percent in game number two. That's what that's what when I watched that game and that period, I thought I'm watching a Sense Arena Skills Challenge right now because <laughs> they were firing from everywhere, and he was just uh, kicking them out. To, but uh, some of the scores that I've They're witnessed uh, from from the athletes are are wild. Now, having gone through it, like how do they do that? Yeah, and you miss just like two pucks, and you plunge down the leaderboard. So it's incredible. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. And then the re tiebreakers, the reaction mm -hmm. time, they're like wow, uh, un unbelievable. The Sensorino VR Skills Challenge, uh, check it out. It is uh, an unbelievable aid, and it is the cheat code. But uh, cheat codes are allowed in this regard. Make sure you are as prepared as you possibly can with Sensorino VR. Here's Alex Nedeljkovic, starting goaltender for the Carolina Hurricanes in the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. Our feature interview with Kevin Woodley. Really thrilled to have Alex Nedeljkovic joining us on the In Goal Radio podcast for the first time. Um, I've only had a chance to chat with you once, Alex. Your first NHL game and first NHL win here in Vancouver. So I'm really excited about this because I've heard all kinds of great things from a uh, friend of the program, so to speak, Paul Schoenfelder, your goalie coach there. Uh, I, I just, let's, let's start with right now uh, and this season to go from where you were at the beginning of the year. And we've all read about waivers um, and the fact that the Hurricanes just kind of were in a spot where they felt they had to put you on them. How nerve wracking was that? And how tough was it at that point to see, you know, a path to what this year has become? Yeah, like you said, it was kind of, it was a little nerve wracking. It was, I was a little, uh, not a little, I was pretty anxious um, that 24 hours there. It was obviously my first time, my first experience going through waivers. So, you know, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, but, you know, obviously you're, there's a little bit of disappointment there, right? You were, you know, I was hoping maybe it would be given a little bit more of a chance in camp coming into the year to kind of to get to play and, and get to have a bigger role out of the get-go. But, you know, things happen different ways. And um, fortunately, I think I was pretty – I was I was lucky enough to, to go unclaimed and to be able to stay with the, with the organization. Um, obviously, it's been, it's been a great five years with them so far now to finally be able to, to get a chance and to play a lot. This year, it's been um, nothing short of uh, incredible. I was going to say, because, I mean, there really was no preseason, right? There wasn't much of an opportunity for anyone to, you know, like a lot of these decisions, it seems this year, maybe more than any, were just based on, you know, contract status and things like that. 
taxi squad and just so many weird parameters to it. I certainly know they didn't want to lose you. So it all works out. From there to now, how has the confidence built with opportunity as you've gotten into into games and and had a chance to sort of get the NHL and you know get your feet under you in the NHL and just it feels like from the outside, Alex, like you look just more and more and more confident as this year has gone on. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I would say so. And I think that you see that with a lot of guys, especially in our group. You know, you got Beaner, Jake Bean's been playing a bigger role, an increased role. It seems every night he's out there. Um, he's playing more and more minutes. And same thing with the guys up front, like Morgan Geeky and Steven Lorenz. They've been they've been regulars in the lineup throughout the year, whether it was just due to injury or some play by some other guys for whatever reason you know they've they've come in they've stepped in and and as the year's gone on they've they've been trusted with more ice time and bigger roles and responsibilities so it's I think you could say that for anybody you know um, and I think for me yeah it was just the more games I got to play the more opportunities you know I had and I was able to take advantage of and you do when you do well in the in those games you know obviously it makes it a lot easier to have that confidence did it help this year having Paul there as a, as a guy you'd had in the American Hockey League his first year up with Carolina as the goaltending coach with the, with the big club? Like, in what ways can that relationship help you in terms of whether it was sort of managing those emotions of of going through waivers or building up as the season went on and finding that confidence? Yeah, I think it helped a lot. I mean, he's obviously very familiar with me, um, being the three have spending the three years together in Charlotte and um, it was like you really couldn't have asked for anything better because like, like I said he knew he kind of had an idea of the game day routines and things like that and practice habits and whatnot so it was it was almost just a seamless transition for for the two of us together and you, you know when we got out in practice like at the beginning of the year there when it was um, you know when I was at the taxi squad even him staying out there the, the extra time or coming out before the main group and getting to skate spending that 45 minutes an hour getting to work with him and it actually was kind of kind of good because we got to work on a, maybe a few more specific or goalie de- oriented um, things maybe more so than we would have gotten to do with uh, a normal practices so um, like I said it, it was awesome to have him here and uh, for him to kind of go through the stretch with me it's been great. So for the two of you when you have that opportunity to work together, whether it's beginning of the season or as the year moves on, what what do you see? What are the things that make you feel good as a goaltender? Are there certain drills? Are there certain things that you see as a foundation or that you work on? Maybe if you've gone a little stretch between games early in the year that sort of help ground you and, and feel good about your game. Everybody seems to have different ones. What are the ones for Alex Nadelkovic? I don't know if it's maybe certain drills. I think it's just feeling the puck and seeing the puck and um, I know for my first few years, it was like when I got a chance at camp or getting called up and just going through practice, maybe felt a little behind or it was kind of like, uh, it was like a big rush, you know, when you get in the net and guys are just sipping pucks by your ears and it, like, it's a completely different pace up here than it is in juniors or in the American league or in the minors. So, um, you know, maybe like, something like that where you kind of like, Oh my God, like, you know, these guys are the real deal. But then this year it's been the more and more you get out there, it just kind of turns into another practice. It's like, you know, you, you're just kind of doing your thing. You're going out there and you realize, like kind of realize, yeah, I'm, you know, these guys are in the NHL, but so am I, you know, I'm here for a reason too. And 
you just got to kind of like put it in the back of your head, like get it out of your head that, that these guys are who they are, you know, and you got to tell yourself, well, I'm, I am, you know, who I am. I'm myself and I can definitely play at this level. So see them as peers, as opposed to guys you used to look up to, is that it was there, were there moments or one moment along the way that it, that was really reinforced or was it like, it sounds like maybe a gradual process. I think it's, it's been a pretty gradual process. Um, obviously the biggest thing is you get comfortable with the guys in the locker room. And I think that's where everything kind of really fully starts to like, kind of like take over on the ice. You know, you get a little comfortable around the guys, you, you start chit chatting with everybody, you know, and you're not really, you, you hang out and you, you have more conversations with, with maybe some of the older guys or some of the vets that have been in the league a long time, you know, um, like instead of maybe just as opposed to hanging out with some of the younger guys that you've been with the past few years. So that's been, like I said, probably a more gradual thing than anything is just getting more comfortable. And we had a a great group of guys in that locker room. So it's for anybody, it wouldn't take long for you to just kind of be yourself and, and get settled in if you got in here. Okay, so let's go let's go back here. I want to rewind things a little bit. I wanted to talk about this season, but I also wanted to sort of find a little bit about how you got started. How did how did Alex become a goalie? How did you fall in love with this position? Well, I, I started my parents kind of just got me into like ice skating when I was like five, six years old, and I think it turned into organized hockey probably not too far off after that, six or seven. And then I'd say, yeah, right around that time, probably just the same thing. Like there was a goalie clinic going on at the local rink that I was skating at and they told my, my mom and dad that that was something that I wanted to do. And I, you know, I wanted to try it out. So they ended up getting me a set of pads and, uh, it just kind of stuck and we kind of went with it. And that's the biggest thing is I can't thank my parents enough. And even more so my, my parents and my, my brother and two sisters, they, uh, they sacrificed a lot to, to let me play and to take me around the country really and around not even the country, but around the world, you know, we traveled internationally a few times and not many kids, especially kids that don't play sports, but kids, even kids that are in sports, you know, they don't get to travel to the places that we've gone to often. So I was, I was pretty fortunate as a kid to, to be given a lot of opportunities to grow and succeed um, from the get go. Now you guys are, you're originally from, if I got this correct, Cleveland, right? Or I know Ohio, but yeah, Parma, Ohio. Yep. Okay, there we go. So was that a function of like, uh, not necessarily outgrowing the minor hockey there? Or like when you, I read some things about how you had gotten those opportunities to go, you know, uh, play elsewhere and work with goalie coaches elsewhere. Was that a sort of an active thing in terms of seeking out new opportunities and new voices and something you and your parents strove to do um, as a young goalie trying to find new instruction all over the place? Or was it just a matter of getting opportunities to play in different spots? Um, I think it, the, the, with the instructions part of it, like in learning and growing up and working with different, different goalie coaches was, um, was more just like just trying to find the resources to do it. Right. We had gotten okay. some recommendations for guys, worked with Shane Clifford in Pittsburgh, John Elkins in Toronto for a few years. And then when I made the jump to Michigan, uh, I worked with, uh, Stan Matwiv and, uh, Bandit's goalie schools. Um, obviously the, uh, Stan was my goalie coach uh, in Plymouth when I was playing for the Whalers there in junior. So just really, that was, you know, trying to get the right, the right coaching and, and kind of learning different things. My, the, really, my parents didn't have a hockey background. So 
as much as I was learning about the game, my dad was also taking in a lot of it too and trying to, to understand it as best he could and tried to help me out as best he could too. So, you know, he, he doesn't, he never really claimed uh, to knowing a lot about the game, but his biggest thing was just, you know, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it right. And the court, you know, you got to listen to what your coaches say. So from that part, you know, taking me from to Pittsburgh to Michigan to Toronto, just to just to get lessons, not even to play games, but to just get lessons is it's something incredible, and you can never can't really thank them enough for it. Shane, John, Stan, those are all names that that we know here at Ingol and and people that we've talked to over the years. Uh, you know, goalie coaches with great reputations. Were there lessons there as a young goalie? I think um, sometimes whether it's junior or for some guys it's in pro, you can get bounced around a little bit, get a bunch of different voices. Uh, and it can be tempting at times to sort of try and do something. The goalie coach of the day, the guy you're working with at that point on a team wants you to do and a real balancing act for some guys in terms of, Hey, what, what makes me good? And is what this guy's asking me to do going to help that? Did all those different voices at a young age help you sort of find that balance between, you know, new ideas and, sort of finding what works for you and, and, and trusting that balance between the two? Well, I think as I got older and I kind of understood how I needed to play for myself and how, and like I was just kind of being able to think for myself on the ice, I really started to, to kind of mold and to like get that mold of like who I was as a goalie. Um, you know, I think when you're younger, right, you, you go to a goalie coach and they tell you, you know, you need to hold your glove this way and you need to stand at, you know, in this part of the crease, or you need to do this, or you need to do that. You know, when you're younger, you you don't really have a voice. So you kind of, you have to do what they say, right? That's what they're there for, you know, and and they all mean, well, you know, they're not trying to, they're obviously trying to make you better. And in their eyes, that's how, that's how you have to do it. So, but what I've found as I've gotten older and I've worked with different people is I, I don't find that there's, one way it's like it's not like a hat size where it's like one size fits all or like you know one way to play the goalie is is going to fit everybody it's the right way for everybody you have to be able to do what works best for you and what works best for you might be what one guy preaches it might be a combination of what four guys preach so you know whatever that is you have to be able to figure that out yourself as you get older and i think that's what i've really started to do lately is just kind of be my own goalie well not i shouldn't say lately but when i was when i got to juniors and, and got drafted and turned pro i really just kind of figured out my game and then working with paul these last few years he he obviously he understands it quite a bit and he knows it and it's just been trying to fine tune the little details and the fundamentals in it that's really well said i think that's what at least for me, that's what I love about the position, right? There is no one way to do anything. Um, there's no right, there's no wrong uh, for every goaltender. The formula is different. If I were to ask you to describe your formula after after hearing that answer, what would some of the foundational elements be? Well, I, I'm pretty. I, I feel like I'm pretty athletic. You know, I don't. I don't. You don't see me really getting caught back in the crease as much as maybe some uh, some bigger guys. I guess you could say. Um, you know, you tend to see those guys that are six four, six five. They they maybe they stay a little bit more back because they're a little bit bigger, so they can kind of give up that depth. But being a shorter guy, you know, you have to you have to come out, you have to challenge and whatnot. But I think the biggest thing that maybe separates me from a lot of guys is probably just like the confidence and the willingness to play the puck. 
And I think that's really becoming something that's going to be incorporated into the position a lot more, um, you know, in the, in the coming years. I think you've seen it, you've seen it in the past in guys like Marty Broder, Ron Hextall, Marty Turco, like, you know, they were, they were the best at, at handling the puck in their times. But I think now you're starting to see a lot of guys can do it and can, can play it. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Efficiently. They can be efficient with it. Um, but I think sometimes I can, I maybe not get carried away, but I try to do a little bit, a little extra, try the less time we can spend in our zone, especially the way that we like to play here. We like to play fast and kind of in your face, you know? So if, if we're spending less time chasing the puck and more time with it, it's obviously benefiting us a lot. And is that is that been a learning process? Because I, I definitely wanted to ask about the puck handling, but the, you know we see we see the ones that make the highlights, right? We see the the beautiful stretch pass for the the game winning overtime goal assist, which I mean, gorgeous by the way. Um, but is it finding the balance between those opportunities and making the simple plays that allow your teammates to get out of their own zone and when to do which is that, is that just come with experience? Do you and Paul do video? Is it conversations? Is it just sort of getting to know situations as you go on and when to push it and when to just set it up? Yeah. Um, like, like you said, you know, you don't really, it's rarely ever a highlight real thing where you see the goalie playing the puck unless it's a, you know, a breakout pass or a breakaway pass that leads to a goal. Um, I, the biggest thing is, is I think you got to be efficient with it. And like I said, whether you play it or you handle a puck five times in a game or 50 times in a game, you know, you have to be able to, to be efficient and, and do it well and not cause any more stress to your, to your own team's game. Right. Like, right. you know, you can play the puck 20 times in a game, but if you're turning it over, 10 top 10 out of those 20 times you turn it over 50 percent of the time well are you really doing that much more good probably not so it's it's finding that balance yeah of, of how many times you do it where do you do it and part of it was growing up i just loved handling the puck i loved messing around with it and um as i got older and i was able to to do more i was able to make better passes and whatnot that was something that my dad would always tell me would remind me of would be like don't just go out and and play the puck just to play the puck, right? Like that's not what, what you're doing. You're going out there to try to help break out your defense and break out your forwards and spend less time in your own end. So if you can do it well and you make good passes or you, you clear the puck well and you get it up on the glass, things like that, you're really benefiting everybody. But when you start just kind of throwing pucks around and, you know, blindly making plays or maybe not making the smartest or the, the easy play, you're really not benefiting anybody and you're just kind of feeding into that forecheck from the other team. So that's the biggest thing. And we don't really, Paul doesn't really do too much video with it. Um, occasionally, you know, you get the, the game where, you know, I, I, I like to handle the puck a lot. So there's going to be mistakes throughout the game. And um, you sometimes more games in some games, there's maybe one or two more mistakes than others. And they'll just kind of like, just little reminders, like, you know, it's, this is what I saw and just kind of talk to me about the situation and whatnot and just try to keep everything grounded and make sure we're making the easy plays first. Sounds like your dad played a big role in you becoming the puck handler. You are Were there um, you'd mentioned before sort of guys like Brodeur and Turco and Hextall. Like did, were you influenced outside of your dad? Were you influenced by those goalies? Did you watch how they did things or was there anybody else that sort of helped you get to this point? Um, where puck handling is such a strength of your game. 
Well, yeah, I'd say it was really those guys. It was, you know, the Marty Broders and Hextall and, and Turco. It was really those guys that, that I, when watching, I, I'd see how much they played the puck. And obviously Marty and, and, and Hextall both, both scored goals in their careers. So it was, um, you know, something that I saw and I was like, that'd be really cool to do, you know, at, at, you know, as a goalie, be something that you don't see very often. So if you ever got the opportunity to do it and to, to score, it would be great. But the voice of, I guess, like the voice of reason would probably be my dad. And like I said, you know, he would always tell me and remind me, like, you don't have to do anything fancy. Like a lot of those times, like they weren't making these long, crazy stretch passes. They were just making simple, for the most part, simple tape to tape, short passes to the defenseman. And then the D-man would make the next pass. And then that's usually what you see, right? You see maybe two or three passes uh, in a normal breakout to get out of the zone. and he would kind of explain it to me like that, where it's like, you don't need to make a pass from behind the net to the, to the red line. You know, you don't need to do that. You just need to get it from your stick onto your defenseman's stick and, and he'll take care of the rest. Right. Cause that's their job. And my job is just try to, when I have it, just try to make it a little bit easier for him. So really he, he was just kind of there to, he was just there to remind me about that and to kind of settle me down at times. There's two parts to puck handling, at least in my mind, Alex, and, and maybe I'm wrong on this. And, uh, we've been blessed to talk to the, some of those names that you mentioned over the years about this, especially Marty Berder. And so, so to me, the two parts are the stuff you're talking about in terms of when to do what and the reads and reading a four check. And then the other part is just the puck skills. And Marty used to talk about like if the practice was at the other end of the ice for 10 minutes and he was in his end waiting for the practice to come back to him, he would just shoot pucks, crossbar, post find a teammate that he could hit, you know, going back and forth at the blue line, hit with breakout passes. What for you, like, where did the skill part of it come in? Was it just shooting pucks? Did you work in the summer on it? Or was it just, just natural? How did, how did that skill element outside of the reading the game element, how did that develop for you? I'm looking for advice, maybe even for young kids that are like, man, I love watching Alex Nedeljkovic handle the puck and I want to be able to do it like him. Yeah, like yeah, I, I would agree with that. That there's two parts. There's the reading the plays, and then there's the actual skill and and handling it. Um, and I, for me, it was just yeah. I get like if I had time to myself in practice, you know, I would be doing it. I would be shooting pucks or like kind of stick handling with it and doing things for a purpose. Um, you know, if I like trying to shoot a puck, I figured out the right way. You know, they're not the right way, but what way was best for me if I kind of held my hand over the stick or if I held it under the stick and where I was able to get more control out of it. Um, so doing that, I, I would shoot pucks just like you see like a lot of kids now they're shooting pucks in the driveway or in their parents' garage. I was doing the same thing just with my, uh, with my goalie gloves and a goalie stick, you know, I'd be in my parents' garage shooting pucks. So you, and you get older, you get stronger, you get more confident in doing it. You, you can start to stick in a little bit better. You have that control. So, so things like that are just things that you have to to really work on and yourself and really have the motivation to do it. I had coaches growing up that would, you know, they would always remind me like, you know, this is, this is great. Like if you can do this and you can make, do this well and, and make this a part of your, your skill set, you know, it's going to go a long way and guys are going to appreciate it. Some of my defensive, like some of the coaches that have played defense that I had growing up, they, they would always talk about how you could make guys lives so much easier by just being able to make a simple play or by maybe clearing the puck once or twice a game on your own. So, you know, that's, 
there's two plays. You said two parts of it, and neither part's gonna, neither one of them's gonna be tough to come something where it's just like one day you wake up and you're really good at it. You got to work at both sides of it in order to get to where you want to be with it. Love it. Not to stick with puck handling too much, but you said it's not it's not often the highlight reel. It's the simple plays. But come on, you've got a couple highlight reels on there. Two goals and two leagues already under your belt: East Coast Hockey League and American Hockey League. You talked about seeing those guys score and that would be really cool. What's it like to actually live it? I think most of us is for most of us it's just a pipe dream, but to score a goal as a goalie and to do it twice. Do you remember those? Like how, how, what stands out about each one? Yeah, I, I definitely remember them. Um <laughs> the first the first one it was actually my second game um in the in the ECHL uh my first year pro and that was one of the brighter spots of that season um just as a whole it really wasn't a great showing for me in the american league i kind of got off to a rough start and then when i went down to the east coast i was able to kind of get my feet under me a little bit and and that was just uh, it was exciting it was kind of like uh actually nice in a way because it was my first time down there so i was with the with the the guys and the team for maybe three days at that point in total so still was trying to kind of get to know everybody a little bit and they were still trying to figure out who i was and you know, obviously scoring, it, it just makes it that much easier. It's something that, you know, guys are raving about, guys are talking about. And uh, it just kind of like relaxed a little bit. You know, it was something really cool and something I always wanted to do. So it just kind of like was able to be myself a little bit easier in maybe a shorter amount of time. And then the second one, the the next year, yeah, we were in Charlotte at home. Um, yeah, it was, this one I was a little bit more maybe aware of in doing it. Because the first time, the first time it was just off the center ice face off. They had just scored, and you know they they dumped the puck in right at me. I just kind of dropped it and shot it. Didn't really know if the goalie was out of the net or not. I was just like, let's keep the puck moving and keep the clock going, you know. And if if we get it, we get it. If you know it goes in, it goes in and whatnot. So I kind of did it, shot it, and then I looked up and I'm like, oh, like you know, this is going in. But the <laughs> second time, the second time they dumped um, kind of similar thing. It was a break up in the neutral zone and the guy just flipped it cross ice and I ended up going out and was able to stop it at the bottom of the circle before it got past the goal line. And I peeked up my head real quick before I grabbed the puck and just noticed that their guy, that the other goalie was heading to the bench. So I grabbed it, took it, took my chance. And, uh, you know, that, that one was a little bit maybe more special. Just, you got to do it at home in front of a crowd in front of fans. And I had been with the guys for a while. I think that one I scored in March. So the year we had already gone, gone through almost, uh, three fourths of the year at, at that point. So you were a little bit more comfortable with everything at that. And, you know, they were, it was just two exciting times. And then I tried to do it again the the year after that, I hit the side of the net, maybe tried to do it a few more times and it, it, kind of, it didn't go so well. I think one time actually it cost us a goal um, and we ended up losing that game in overtime. So that, that really didn't go too well. So I've, I've kind of toned it down a little bit and I've kind of like, reminded myself look you know it's great it's awesome to do it but you can't force it it's just something that when the opportunity's there you need to take advantage of it up by two the golden rule at this point then after that one bit you well you know i don't i don't know maybe not you gotta you gotta read the situation you gotta read the situation so if we're you know i you'd be more comfortable i'll say that i'd be more comfortable doing it with the two goal lead but if i had the time to do it and uh you know i wasn't wasn't rushed basically the perfect if you had the perfect scenario um with a one goal lead i would probably take i'd probably go for it but again that's gonna lots gotta go right so 
I was going to say that comes with confidence and you've clearly got it there. Everybody always talks and last one, I promise on this, but everybody always talks about, you know, you can make your defenseman's lives easier. And I've had this debate, um, you know, with non-goalie people, you know, Mike Smith is a guy that sometimes gets picked on when the mistakes end up in his own net, but you talk to the defenseman on the team and, you know, hundred percent, same thing. Like I, I want him out there handling it because that's better than getting plastered into the end boards. Like it makes our life easier as defensemen. Do you ever think about how it makes your life easier as a goaltender? Is that part of the equation? Like if I get us out of our own end, that's less time we're spending here. We're transitioning. We're feeding our transition game. We're not defending. Have you ever thought about it that way in terms of, Hey, it makes my life easier too. And can it keep you engaged in low shot games? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's one thing too, that like when you talk about doing a video with it and, and, um, and talking to Paul about it, really it's, it's sometimes it's not even like looking at video, but it's more just acknowledging like in a game, you know, you, you had a lot of touches tonight and, and it's it, sometimes it doesn't like, you don't, you don't notice it until you really think about it. Like if a team only had, you know, maybe like a lot, like 20 shots on like in a game, you know, it could, yeah, you would, most times, you know, you would say, yeah, you know, we played a really good defensive style game and, and, you know, we didn't give them much, which is probably true, but I think a lot of, uh, not a lot of, but part of it is that, that puck handling. And if you do it right and you do it well, you know, you're like you said, you spend a lot less time in your own end. So there's not that like, you know, you, you maybe get rid of say three or four in zone, you know, offensive zone shifts for the opposing team. Right. And that's three or four right. more shifts for your team to play in the offensive zone. So, and it goes back to you, you start putting less stress on your defenseman. You know, they're not maybe going back facing the boards and expecting to get, you know, run from behind or even like, just, just take a hit, you know, one less hit a game for, for each of your D men, like that goes a long way, you know, it goes a long way in them having confidence in you and, and just understanding that if they dump a puck in and they see me get it, you know, they kind of like, all right, Ned's got it, you know, get in the spot to make a play and then we're going to get out of the zone here. So. Absolutely. Hey, listen, I pro I, I didn't mean to spend that much time on puck handling, but I've always admired how well you handle it. Even that, I remember that first game here in Vancouver, your first start, at least just, it seemed to really settle you down as well uh, with a couple really slick early touches. And so, I wanted to ask all those questions because I know there's a lot of young goalies that they want to get better at it, but you know sometimes you realize you got to realize it's it's work that gets you there. A um, right. couple more, uh, USA Hockey. How much? How much? I mean, you, you've you've played at the Holenka, you've played at the World Junior Championships. Um, I, I don't know how much we see a lot of really good young American goaltenders coming up right now. I cover one here in Vancouver in Thatcher Demko. Um, we've heard about USA Hockey's 51 and 30 program and that ambitious concept of, hey, 51% of the starts by the year 2030. Um, do you guys pay much attention to what each other is doing? I talked to Anthony Stolers recently. Is there any sort of union within the union from the, from the, the American goaltender union? Is there a subcategory? Yeah, I think, I think so. You know, I, I obviously grew up and I played a few games, uh, and a few tournaments with Thatch. We, we both went to, and worked with Stan in, in Michigan there for a few years. So I got to know him a little bit and obviously playing um, world juniors with him the one year, just got to be a little bit more comfortable and, and know, get to know him a little better. But yeah, I think so. You see, you know, you see these other guys and um, American born goalies and where they're coming from and the different, the different routes that everybody takes to get there. You know, it's, it's, 
it's interesting to see and, and to keep in touch. And, um, you know, you're, you're really lucky to kind of, to get to know all these guys and, and figure out what makes them tick and how they go about, you know, their game and, and what it takes for them to, to get ready and to, to play at a high level. So it's, it's been, it's been cool. It's been fun to see, especially for Thatch, how he's been able to grow and, and, and um, the role that he's kind of taken on there in Vancouver. And obviously they really kind of, the opportunity for him really rose in, in the bubble last year. And um, I think he just kind of picked up where he left off and ran with it this year. And last one, um, you mentioned it once in terms of style and, and the bigger guys playing a little deeper, but uh, being a goaltender under six foot is not easy these days, just because the perceptions that sometimes come with it. We've, we've hit this league where, you know, to be honest with you, I, I've had a couple of goalie coaches think that the sweet spot is a lot smaller than maybe what teams chase. Like the sweet spot is maybe 6'2", 6'3", not 6'5", 6'6", and yet it's the 6'5", 6'6", guys that often get the opportunities. And sometimes the guys who are under six foot don't get the same shake. Has, it, has there been points along the way where it's been a challenge for you or where maybe the perception of it has been a challenge? And is there any advice you'd give to other small goaltenders that are maybe you know, battling that same stigma because you're clearly it hasn't been an issue for you, but sometimes it's an issue regardless of performance for guys. Yeah, I think there's been uh, a few scenarios, a few actually, I think a few times where, you know, I've been overlooked and or maybe not overlooked, but I didn't get get the job or get get a spot on on whatever team, and you kind of look at it and and you see that the the two guys that they picked over you are you know, six, three or six, four, and you kind of like, you know, well, it's not, you know, it's not my fault that, that I'm only six foot or however tall you are. Right. Like not everybody can be six, four or six, five, even six, two, right. Like not every, not everybody there's, that's out of your control. There's nothing you can do about that. The only thing you can do is just worry about yourself and do what makes you a good goalie. Right. Like do like focus on the things that you can control. And that's showing up to the rink every day, working hard, working on the fundamentals, being sharp there, working on your mental game, because that's a huge part of it now is is how you approach the game mentally and, and how you respond to the goals that you let in. Because everybody's going to let in goals, whether you're 6'6 six, 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 or you're 5'6. You're everybody's going to give up goals. Um, it's just how you respond to them, right? You can't let one go to two and two go to three, you know. You got to be able to kind of move on from it, shut the door, and and get ready for that next shot. Um, Cause it doesn't matter if you're, like I said, if you're six foot or you're six, six, if you're giving up goals left and right, you're not going to go very far. So it's, that would be my biggest advice to, to kids that are maybe shorter than, you know, than maybe the, the stereotypical goalie would be is to just kind of do your thing and worry about yourself and, and don't let what other people think about the position affect how you play, right? Like, you know what works for you and whatever you have to do to get to the next level, you got to do. Well said, well said. Uh, you, you mentioned mental game. I said that was the last one, but when you brought it up, I, I, I got to ask, is there anything that's changed there? Anybody that you've worked with that's helped you, you know, develop that mentality, that, uh, that strength of, you know, it's easy. It's always been easy to say one shot at a time, but it's, sometimes it's the hardest thing to do. Yeah, I think it's definitely probably the hardest thing is is getting that right mental state. And uh, I've been working with uh, Dr. Saul Miller. He's actually in Vancouver there. Um, he's based out of there. And for the last yeah. like 
actually since I was my since my draft year. So going on about seven years, no, not seven years, like five, six years. Um, and really that's kind of, I think, really helped me take my game to the next level is just understanding, you know, every day is a new day. Um, every time you get to the rink, you know, it's a fresh start. It's a new day. There's really no reason to, to show up the, the, the day after maybe a bad loss and kind of like dwell on it because it's over with, it's done. There's nothing you can do about it. So, um, you just kind of show up to work every day with a good attitude, the right attitude that, you know, you're a good goalie and, and you're going to stop pucks. And that's what you do is you stop pucks, you make saves. Um, and then there's obviously a, few, a little bit more to it, you know, when you get talking to them and you, you dive deeper into the mental game and how you approach things. But um, that's the, that's been the biggest thing is just kind of like almost just like a breath, a breath of fresh air, like, you know, not really overthinking much and just, that's the biggest thing is just going out there and doing it and, and playing the game and having fun. And that's at the end of the day, it's a game, you know, it's a game. It's, it's always going to be a game at the end of the day, whether it doesn't matter if somebody pays you $15 million or if you're playing beer league at your local ice rink, it's, it's just a game. And it's, it's, if you have fun, that's what matters. So. Well said. I listen uh, Ned, I, I, I really appreciate the time. Um, I look forward to the day when we're back into the locker rooms and I can see here in Vancouver, every once in a while I see Saul in the rink talking to guys after morning skates. So I look forward to the next time you're through town, we're back to normal times and traveling across the border and the Carolina Hurricanes are in town and I get to see you and Saul at the rink. Um, Thank you so much for the time today. Uh, Congratulations on the recent engagement. Congratulations on the season. Keep it rolling in the playoffs and uh, thanks again for uh, for joining us on the In Goal Radio podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Uh, a winner, uh, a, a guy that's uh, overcome some challenges uh, with people ahead of him and didn't get uh, bogged down. And the part that that jumped out at me, and, and maybe maybe this is. Um, I'm giving too much credit to the taxi squad and, and COVID, but uh, he mentioned just being around the veterans and being around the same room uh, so much and being able to get comfortable or in that uh, environment and, and not just uh, being the guy that's being shuffled back and forth, but being part of the team. And that helped him get comfortable and aided his uh, adjustment to the national hockey league and being uh, feeling part of, uh, uh, about that group. And, and I thought that was a really key uh, drop by him. I think that's massive, and you heard him talk about it in in the his minor league experience too. That that adjustment period, both in the East Coast and the American League, and and how he, because of scoring, managed to get in with the the guys in the American League just a little bit faster. That comfort level is so important for a goaltender uh, of every age level, and and it's fun to see that it's true at the National League level as well. Like we feel, goalies are always sort of on the outside. That's just a part of the position. But to to feel part of the team, uh, I think sometimes we we overlook that. Uh, any goaltender can be called up and stand on his head and be great, and he's wearing the same uniform as the other guys. But uh, uh, there's that point where only they know when they're truly part of the group. Woody, yeah, to me, to me, the I mean, that's that was good. The, to me, the part that jumped out was just the whole entire attitude he had toward, like just the openness with which he he shared things with us. On the eve, literally the eve of 
his first Stanley Cup playoff start, didn't even know it was coming. Like, I didn't know he was starting the next day. This was all, you know, he set this up and picked the time and you couldn't have told. My assumption would have been he wasn't playing. I think there's a combination of calmness and swagger. Can you have both? Like, can can you, can yeah. those two things coexist? I th- I think he exudes it, right? Like, there's there's a... There's a little bit of that, and you see it in the puck handling comments, right? And, like, I fully expect him to go for it in these playoffs, right, if he gets that opportunity. I think in the playoffs... How many does he have? He's got one in the coast and one in the A. Okay. So, and he says he talked about there, he's had some near misses too. So, um, I mean, he can sling it, but I think the beautiful thing there is, um, and he talked about it, it's just the leaves, right? Like, it's... It's when to sling it. It's when to leave it. It's when to make an over, when to make a quick up, making sure the deer on the same page. We saw the communication cost the Washington yep. Capitals an overtime goal and a, and a key game and a crucial point in the series, double OT because of a gaff behind the net. And so to have a guy that can swashbuckle, but understands at this young age and this early stage of his NHL portion of his career, that that's not the end all be all uh, is really nice. And I think that probably went into the decision-making for the start. When I looked at the numbers going into these playoffs, um, Peter Morazic in a small sample had the best adjusted save percentage in the entire NHL. He was the only guy in the league that was better than Marc-Andre Fleury with over 200 chances, but obviously he didn't have near enough chances to be in the conversation for trophies. Nedeljkovic was sort of mid-teens. Like his adjusted save percentage was was not even a third as good as Morazic's. Still good, like again, like mid-teens, first-year pro. But the interesting thing is the expected save percentage was massively different, and I mean massively. Morazic's like it's a thirty-point difference. It'd be like I go behind, play behind a team, and and they, sh- you know, my expected should be nine hundred save percentage, but somebody else goes and plays behind the team, and it should be nine thirty. Same team. And the only thing I can think of, and it starts to, when you start to watch him play, it, it makes sense, is that in some cases you'll see a young goalie come in and he has an easier defensive environment. We've got lots of examples of this, and it's the team insulating him. We've got to make sure we protect this young guy. And it doesn't last that long, certainly not as long as Ned played in the NHL this season. So the only other option then is his handle changes the game for them changes how much time they spend in their own end. And in other words, he has an easier defensive environment because he helps create it. And I think there's a big part of that. We've seen it with some other guys, Mike Smith at times in his career. Uh, We saw it with Shesterkin and Lundqvist in New York last year. Igor was so assertive with the puck. And Henrik, much like Morazic, barely got out and even stopped it. So uh, to me, that's a big difference. And I think that's probably one of the reasons he's playing. And I've seen it in his first NHL start. his confidence here in Vancouver that I remember texting the goalie coach, um, Paul Schoenfelder after the game, like you could see his confidence grow in his first NHL start from the second he got out and made an assertive puck handle, his play everywhere else got better as well. So it's a, it's a neat sort of thing to watch. It's a cool formula and it's cool to hear him talk so extensively about why he's successful at it. I wasn't sure whether he had others in junior or, or minor hockey uh, scored goals too as a professional uh, the, from from your conversation, but that's like he just sounds like he's had it on the radar forever, uh, been able to do that. But then to, to do other things with the puck and not just be able to loft it down the ice. Yeah, that's the that's like the key point. I mean, we all have it on the radar. <laughs> Everybody would yeah. love to. My favorite part of that was when Woody essentially left it for him. So you're not going to try again until there's you're down up by two. 
well, no, yeah. no, up by one's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just depends. Got to pick your spots. You know what uh, I'd love Flower to do try is, is I would love to meet and talk to some of the coaches who worked with him on the way up. And I don't mean goaltending coaches. I mean head coaches because a goaltender can't develop like this just by playing around with the puck in practice. You have to get the opportunity to play the puck. You have to get the opportunity to touch the puck in practice. And a lot of guys right up to the NHL haven't really had that opportunity. How many times does a, a defenseman handle the puck in a practice versus a goaltender? How do you develop those skills? And you work within a team system that allows you to do that. I mean, a lot of goaltenders, again, all, all the way up through, uh, will go and handle the puck behind the net. And the first thing you see is a defenseman coming to take it from them versus a team that yeah. that gives them the opportunity to to create that odd man situation on the breakout, the six on five with the goaltender handling the puck. Uh, Dallas did that great with, with, with Marty, Marty Turco. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, they just everything was structured around. And we've seen great, seen some great stuff from from Edmonton for how they do things when Mike Smith's handling the puck as well, and of course Montreal mm -hmm. with Kerry, and, and lots of teams are starting to do it. But if, as Ned was saying, that he thinks this is sort of the way of the future, we're going to have to have head coaches on the way up, uh, helping goaltenders develop those skills, giving them the opportunities to. Otherwise, we just have to get Sensorino to finish the program that allows him the goalie to grab a stick and see a forecheck coming at them. Well, I mean, and, and that's one of the things Eric Comrie suggested, yeah. right? Just that opportunity to learn to read the forecheck. But yeah, you need to do it in practice every day. So absolutely. And if I scuff marks on the hardwood. Hey, if I may add, we do have a, a pro drills tip up at ingoalmag.com that we kind of forgot about last week from Calgary Flames goaltending coach Jason LaBarbera um, on how you can sort of add a little fun and focus to those routine puck handling drills. We see it all the time plays at the other end. And I think this is one where Ned talks about every chance you get. And we heard it from Marty Berger. Every chance I got, I shot pucks. I had a guy skate back and forth at the blue line. If they were working at the other mm -hmm. end of the ice, I shot at the crossbar. I did all these things. And Ned talked about the same thing. And this is a great drill with Jason LaBarbera where you don't even need a coach, but at the plays at the other end and don't just go behind the net and stop it and then throw it up the wall. But Jason would just by simply dropping his gloves at various points in the corner and then challenging the goalies to hit them, created an additional sense of focus in terms of stopping the rim, setting, spotting a target, and hitting it. And he would turn it into games, and you could reward them, or you could punish them and make it a bagger if they couldn't hit the gloves. Two on one side, you know, two on the other side, and then you're through. Things like that. Just a small, easy tip at the that's used right up to the National Hockey League level to help make puck handling not just more fun in terms of the game element, but, but make the goalie focus a little more on consequences. Yeah, make a pass as opposed to just get back there, the grab it, and chuck it up the wall. How many years ago was uh, it? And that's not too many years. Even the National Hockey League, the goaltender's play was to either stop the puck or rim the puck. And nobody made mm -hmm. many decisions beyond that. And now you see a guy rim the puck it's far less common because they're they're looking to be a little bit more creative with, with with what they're doing it's last ditch like no option and you gotta clear it away. and yet it used to be the default play for all of us didn't it yeah, yeah. that was fun though of course <laughs> <laughs> defensemen really liked it too wingers loved it wingers were all over it <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Alex Nadalkovich, congratulations. Uh, we're really, really proud of you, happy, and uh, that was cool catching up with you. Uh, I didn't know a lot about uh, Alex, and uh, to hear him talk uh, it was uh, was very generous of him. Although, I will say, the second best stick handler on the show today, next to Kevin Woodley, who had to go third in our list of top 
10. Uh, where we each gave three of our favorite episodes in the the 119, uh, this being 120, the 119 previous episodes. So Woody, you had to stick around, uh, stick handle around uh, my three and Hutch's three, uh, and you didn't find jobs because I had the practice stick, <laughs> warm up stick. Sorry, the warm up stick. Mic drop. Uh, thanks to Alex Nadelkovich, uh, of course, Cam over at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, uh, and Sense Arena for presenting our feature interview every week. Uh, it's awesome, and get involved in that skills challenge. Uh, giddy up, uh, ready to rock. There's a couple more weeks left, and we will do an in-goal version of that uh, Sense Arena skills challenge. The eyes are wide on Hutch, and Woody's looking around like, uh, like he just uh, dropped something and has to go, like his connection's failing. No, no, I was looking around because I just wanted to see if I'd brought it down to the office yet, but Dustin Schwartz of the Edmonton <laughs> Oilers has delivered my sense arena, so it's on, boys. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, have a great week, everybody, and we'll chat with you next time on In Goal Radio, the podcast. <laughs>